0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. By way of uh, introduction this morning, I'm sure that all of you are familiar, or most of you are familiar with a movie called A Few Good Men. and There's a famous exchange in that movie between Tom Cruise's character and Jack Nicholson's character. Tom Cruise is a uh, a lawyer in the the military and he's he's cross-examining Jack Nicholson who is a high-ranking officer in the Marines. It's a very adversarial cross-examination and as the uh, tension builds between Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, Uh, It escalates to the point where Tom Cruise exclaims emphatically, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson exclaims, You can't handle the truth. And I thought of that this morning because what I want us to look at in Genesis chapter 44 and 45 is this question Can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth? We're discussing how big is our God. That's the series here is how big is, is your God. And again, uh, we're not talking about trying to make God bigger because he's big enough already. But, but I would like to make him bigger in our minds. And the way we see him, we need to see him as the big God that he is. And this morning, as we approach uh, the point in time where Joseph is finally going to confront his brothers and reveal himself to them, there's some things that had to take place first before Joseph was willing and ready to tell them who he was. And one of the first things that they had to do is they had to acknowledge some truths. And I want to say to you, the hardest truth that you will ever face is the truth about yourself. You will you will never hey, I, I spent a career already ferreting out the truth about other people. Finding out all their dirty little secrets, catching them and doing criminal acts, you know, getting with the law enforcement, and they'd bring something in, and it'd be You know, there was a a sweet satisfaction to uncovering the truth about some nefarious plot, some corruption out there, okay? I love confronting truth in you. (laughs) I love confronting truth in other people. But oh, when I look in the mirror, sometimes when I examine myself, that's the hardest truth that I have ever had to face. I've mentioned to you in the past about problems that I've had with people that, that when I look at it at first glance, it's their fault and not mine. You know, I didn't do anything to them. I didn't do anything wrong. But you know, without fail, I've tried to re-examine my life and dig deep down into my heart. And even when I didn't take an action that should have prompted some kind of response, I'll see that the, that the motivations of my heart were not as pure as I'd like for you to think they were. You see, that's a hard truth, isn't it? That's a hard truth to confront. This, the truth about yourself. Now, we hear that said the truth hurts, right? The truth hurts. But praise God, there's something else about the truth that Jesus tells us in John chapter 8. In verse 32 he says And ye shall know the truth And the truth Shall make you free What he's saying there Is certainly it has to do with doctrine And teaching But truth in general Truth across the board Will set you free If you ever Think about I hope you haven't done it as an adult But many people have But I think about times in my childhood when I was trying to perpetuate a lie you know I had told something and I always I've used this example before so stupid that uh, I'm, I'm gonna use it again because it gets the point across but I'll never forget I was about five four five six years old and I had read in a book about laryngitis I never had it but I read in a book about laryngitis and I thought now this would be a neat thing to have is laryngitis so so I went to mama and I said I started whispering, I've got laryngitis, I can't, speak. you know, I started doing that, okay? And I, so, I, and, but as I, I started into that one day, and, and I realized that having started it, I had to perpetuate it. I couldn't stop and just say, you know, um, oh, well, I'm not, I don't have it anymore. I knew that there were some issues that, well, as children do, they forget about what they're doing. And as you will do, if you're lying about something, you'll forget your line or what lie you told, and so after a few hours, I came up to Mama and Daddy, and I said something in a, in a normal voice. And I remember Mom's look to this day, oh, you're better. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I got over the laryngitis. <laughs> you know, I got over it. And I realized I had to think quick, you know. But, but, but my point there is, is that I had become burdened by that because I had to think about it every time that I had lied about the laryngitis. And I was trying to maintain that lie, and it got to be so burdensome. And, and, and when finally uh, I was found out and the truth came out, it was a relief. And it was embarrassing. It hurt me, and I tried to cover it with another lie, but that's another story. But it still hurt. Now, now here's, here's my point. The truth hurts, okay? But that's not all there is about the truth. The truth will also set you free. And let me also say, as we've already said in in one of these previous messages, that there can be no repentance and reconciliation, especially with God, without acknowledgement of the truth. I've shared that with more than one person, but one in particular I remember who was facing some very serious problems. And I said to this person, I said, You understand that repentance requires you to acknowledge the truth. And it does. It does. Now, moving into our message this morning, you will recall that we closed out chapters 42 and 43 uh, last time with Joseph's brothers going down into Egypt the first time and, and Joseph testing them, Joseph actually facing his greatest test. He had the opportunity to destroy them. He had the opportunity to execute them to a man, and no one would ever call him to account. He had complete authority over them. And Joseph Joseph passed that test. Joseph decided he was going to act like God and not like his human nature wanted him to act. But he still didn't... uh, he didn't immediately reveal himself to them because he wasn't sure where they were standing in their relationship with God and in their ability to reconcile to him. And reconciliation takes two. Now That doesn't mean you say, well, I'm not going to reconcile until he does. That's not what it means. That means you do everything you can to be prepared to, but then you can't make them if they won't. Okay, you just do everything you can and be prepared to accept their reconciliation if it comes. But he had to test them out and that's what he was doing. And, and you know the story, he said, uh, he, he, he confronted them and accused them of being spies and they said, no, 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 we're not spies. And they started talking too much as we tend to do sometimes in those situations. And they said, we, we, we're just uh, sons of one man back in Canaan. We've got a little brother back home and, 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 and so forth. And once he found that out, he said, i tell you what, you're not coming back down here to get any more food until you bring your brother with you to prove that you're not lying to me. Well, you know the story there, Joseph, I mean, Jacob had still not learned his lesson about playing favorites. He had already told him, he said, I don't really care if y'all die, but you're not taking Benjamin. <laughs> and um, that, that, that's a long story. We, we, we give Jacob a lot of grief and we should. But don't forget about this one thing about Jacob. You'll notice in reading, I was reading through this, this account again this week and, and I noticed there was a place, I think it's in chapter 44 or 45, it's in other places where the only one of Jacob's women who is called a wife is Rachel. You ever notice that? Her sister, you know, he, he worked seven years thinking he was gonna get to marry Rachel and her father tricked him and gave her older sister Leah to him instead. And he had to work seven more years. He worked 14 years for Rachel. That was the one he loved. That was his, if you want to put it this way, his real wife. The others, uh, you know, were not the ones he had chosen. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, Joseph and Benjamin were the sons of Rachel. And Rachel had passed away at an early age, in, in childbirth, actually. <clears throat> so they, they went back home to Jacob, and Jacob says, No, you're not taking Benjamin. And they wait a while, and finally, finally we saw where Judah, And I, I want to point it out briefly, but we'll come back to it. In chapter 43 and verse 8, Judah, Judah said in verse 9, Rather, I will be a surety for him. You send Benjamin down with us, but I'll be a surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. You're going to see there's some changes that have occurred in the lives of these brothers. So anyway, they go back down and they take Benjamin and, and the table is set in the presence of Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command of Egypt. And the last thing we read is verse 34 of chapter 43. And he took and sent uh, messes or portions unto them from before him. Uh, but Benjamin's mess um, was five times as much as any of theirs and they drank and were merry with him. In other words, they were kind of having a party. They had a big feast uh, in the presence of Joseph. And this opens up now on chapter 44 with all the brothers, all the sons of Jacob being together for the first time in over 20 years. For the first time uh, since Joseph was 17 years old, Joseph is somewhere in the neighborhood of 37, 38, 39 years old. I believe, I believe we figured out he's about 39 years old at this point because the famine has gone for seven years and then there's, there's been two, I mean, the, the, years, the seven years of plenty came and then there's been two years of famine. So he's around 39 or 40 years old. For the first time since they afflicted him and assaulted him and kidnapped him and sold him into slavery, all the sons of Jacob, are together for the first time. In verse 1 of chapter 44, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, this is Joseph talking here, put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money, and he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Now what we're seeing here is that the party is ended now, and they're going back home, and Joseph continues to test his brothers. He says, you put the money that they gave us for the food back in the sacks, just like they did before, but this time you take my personal silver cup, something that's identifiable as mine, and I want you to put it in Benjamin's bag now what is what is joseph doing here you say well joseph's torturing them <laughs> that's probably what i'd be doing i'd be i'd be jerking them around man i'd be making them you know think it's one way and and, and then another and just before it's over with they'd be as confused as a termite and a yo-yo as brother sonny piles used to say they'd be they'd be all over the place I don't believe that's what Joseph is doing here. Remember, Joseph had his opportunity to get his revenge. And instead he chose, he passed the test. He chose to act like God. What Joseph is doing here is he's trying to see if they've changed. He's trying to test them and see if there's any difference in his brother's uh, if they've changed since that day so many years ago near Dothan, where they assaulted him and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Because you see, they put he's put the cup in Benjamin's bag. and 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 he knows that what's going to happen is is that, um, uh, if you continue reading, there it says, "As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it which which my lord in which my lord drinketh, and whereby he indeed uh, indeed he divineth, uh, as ye have done evil in so doing.' In other words, you go find them." Stop them and look for that cup and, and, and tell them what you're doing. And what he's, he knows is is that they're going to find the cup in Benjamin's bag. And if you continue reading, we're not going to continue reading it, but if you'll continue reading... Uh, It says um, in verse 9, when the brothers are overtaken, they say, look, you're crazy. We don't have that cup. But he says, with whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondsmen. Boy, they pronounce a harsh sentence right there. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. So they got out and they opened up their bags. And guess what? Verse 12. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. (laughs) Boy, they regretted their words at this point, didn't they? You know what he's trying to see? Joseph is trying to see if they're going to abandon Benjamin like they abandoned him. That's what he's doing. He's trying to test them out to see, will you abandon Benjamin? Will you throw him to the wolves, so to speak? in order to save yourselves. Now, as I said, the cup's found in Benjamin's bag. And verse 13 says, they didn't do to Benjamin what they had done to Joseph. They rent their clothes and laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. And I want you to notice what happens now. You know, Simeon is the oldest. Or Reuben. Reuben is the oldest. And Simeon's next to him, but it's Judah who becomes the spokesman for the group. It's Judah who becomes the representative for the group. And by the way, it's going to be Judah through whom the line of Christ comes. It's not normal in that day. It should have been the oldest, right? God chose one that wasn't the normal way for the Christ to come. But Judah and his brethren, were told, came to Joseph's house. For he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground, verse 15. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? What ye not, that such a man as I can certainly divine? In other words, did you think you were going to get away with this? You surely knew better than that. I'm a, I didn't rise to the level I'm at by just being a fool and being taken advantage of. And now I want you to notice the first thing that happens to Joseph's brothers. The first thing they do. It's not excuses anymore. It's not, um, uh, it's not uh, begging or pleading or anything like that. It is confession. Confession. Notice what he says. Judah says in verse 16. And what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of Of thy servants. Boy the truth hurts. He's not talking about stealing the cup. Because they didn't steal the cup. He's not talking about stealing the money. Because they didn't steal the money. He's not talking about being a spy. Or trying to uh, get out of dodge so to speak. To get back and and take advantage. He's not speaking of that. What he's speaking of is the deepest darkest secret of their souls torture and supposed death of Joseph. The anguished cries of their brother as he was in that pit. They've already realized that some of the sufferings that they're enduring are connected with that. Some of the issues that they're facing are the chastening of God in that regard. And all the lies that they told their father. I I don't know if that's not perhaps the worst part of the whole thing you remember when they went back to their father they didn't, they didn't exactly lie to him they didn't say oh man we found Joseph he got killed oh, they never told him that they just took his, they took his coat to him that they had dipped in goat's blood and said do you recognize this daddy knowing all along he would leap to that conclusion and he did and let me say to you, that kind of lie is almost worse than an outright lie. Don't, don't console yourself this morning by saying, well, I didn't actually lie to him. <laughs> if you deceived him, if you deceived somebody, if you approach them telling half-truths and partial-truths and are not saying anything at all, knowing that they would come to that conclusion, you lied. You bore false witness, okay? Judah says, "God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants." (laughs) Notice, notice what Judah says. He says, "We're guilty." Look, we've been we built this house of cards all these years. We've kept it from our father. We've learned to live with it ourselves. We've learned to deal with it internally, but but it's 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 coming out now. We're guilty. We're guilty. And, and notice it's not just an, an admission of guilt, but it's an acknowledgement of God. It's an acknowledgement of God. Notice the use of the word, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. You know, what, you know what Numbers tells us? Moses wrote in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, he says, be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> There's no accidents in the way the Bible is written. God didn't just say, well, let's just use this word, no. He's telling us that the sin that they had committed has found them out. Now, remember what we said, the truth will set you free. But the truth hurts, right? This is the hurt part. <laughs> this is the hurt part of the truth. Over to Galatians, it's ironic that Brother Mason went there this morning. But in Galatians chapter 5, In verse 22, we read about the fruit of the Spirit being joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It says, Against such there is no law. But notice verse 24 they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you have to crucify the flesh with its affections or passions and its lusts. I wish he had said, you've got to excise the flesh or you've got to do outpatient surgery on the flesh and and get rid of it. But, But that's not what he said. He said, you've got to crucify the flesh. I've heard Brother Buddy say this so many times. Crucifixion is a slow, painful death. And that's that's an endeavor we must engage in every single day of our lives. It's painful, but you know what happens when you do it? (laughs) It'll set you free. It'll set you free. You know, I've talked to some people who've been addicted to pretty serious controlled substances, uh, both legal and illegal. And they will tell you that the hardest thing in the world is the initial Year or so of trying to get off of it. But if they succeed in that, then they're free of that. Now, they're never free of the addiction completely. I don't mean that. You've always got to fight against it, just like you've always got to fight against the flesh. But if they can get out from under that, they feel more free than they've ever felt in their lives. Nobody wants to be addicted to something like that. Nobody really does. I, I realize it's a choice, but if you get down to their heart of hearts, especially if they're a child of God, they don't really want to be under the power of that. They just don't seem to have the strength of will to to break out of it. But when they get out of it, after that painful withdrawal period, they feel free from that bondage. But it hurts in the beginning. And then notice what they did in the beginning in, in verse 18. They confessed, Judah confessed on their behalf. In verse 17, Joseph says, God forbid that I... Let's go back to verse 16. Notice what Judah said. Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. He says, okay, you got us. Uh, This is... This is because we are guilty before God. We deserve nothing better than for us to be your slaves from here on out. We turn ourselves in. We're all, all, uh, all 11 of us are going to be your servants. But notice what Joseph said. Verse 17. Joseph said, he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Here's their way out. They got a chance here. You know, the old brothers that, that were 20-something uh, years ago, uh, in, the brothers of Joseph, this is the point where those brothers would have said, are you serious? So all you want is Benjamin. Okay, well, uh, I hate it, Benjamin, but we'll see you later. We're going home. <laughs> that would have been what they would have done. And that's what Joseph was testing them to see. He was testing them out to see, would they, would they abandon Benjamin... Like they abandon him, but I want you to notice what happens in verse eighteen. I believe this is this is some evidence. You know, John the Baptist said that those who would be baptized need to bring forth fruits meet for repentance, and that's what that's what Joseph is is doing here. He's seeing if they have fruits meet for repentance, if they if their repentance is real. Well, notice. Verse 18. Judah, now I'm not going to read this whole chapter here, but boy, read it sometime. Oh, what a what a statement here. What a, what a difference we see in Judah. What a deeply moving speech, a powerful oration here by him as he pleads for his little brother. Verse 18, Judah came near unto him, that is, unto Joseph, and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. (laughs) As far as I know, that's the first time that I see an acknowledgment that they believe that Joseph is dead. That's what they believe. That's apparently what Judah believed. And he alone is left of his mother and his father loveth him. And he goes on for the next few verses to recite to Joseph what had happened where Joseph told them, you're going to have to bring Benjamin down in order for me to believe that you're not spies. And, you know, he kept Simeon. He kept Simeon locked up uh, over there for a while, uh, sort of as a surety. And, 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 finally he says, we finally talked to our father and we, we talked him into sending him in verse 25. He says, our father said, go again and buy us a little food. We can't go down. They said, if our, if our youngest brother be with us then we'll go down, but otherwise, you know, the man's not going to see us. And, and verse 27, thy servant, my father said unto us, you know, that my wife, see there talking about Rachel, my wife, bear me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. And he said, Listen, Joseph. because he didn't call him Joseph. He didn't know who he was yet. But he said, Sir, if we go home, and we don't have our little brother with us, our father's going to die. He's not going to survive that. But notice in verse 32. For thy servant, talking about himself, Judah, became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brethren. Boy, there's a There's a big change in Judah. There's a big change in this man. You know what he's saying here? He's saying at this point, 20 years later, he's saying, let me be a slave in Egypt instead of the boy. What a change. What he said 20 years ago is let's sell him into slavery. Judah was the one that brought it up. He said, look, if we just leave him in the pit to die, we're not going to get anything out of this. We hear him, you know, and remember, he was crying out to them in anguish. We read about that in chapter 42, how they remembered his anguished cries. And Judah, instead of being moved to compassion, he was moved by greed. And he said, let's pull him out and we'll sell him to these folks and split the money. We'll sell him into slavery and we'll go free. Today, 20-something years later, Judah says, let me be a slave and him go free. I believe that's evidence of true repentance. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) There's a story in there in chapter 38 that we don't need to go into today, but it's sort of an aside about something that happened in Judah's life. Basically, he had three sons, and the oldest was married, and he died without without giving any heir, without uh, giving his wife a son. And she married the next one, and he refused to give her a son, so the Lord struck him dead. And, and Judah said, okay, I will. I promise you this young boy, the third son was too young uh, to, to be married yet, he said, but I promise you when he gets older, I'll give him to you if you'll stick with me, if you'll stay with our family. Well, as those kinds of promises go, Judah forgot. He didn't do what he said he would do, and, and, and ultimately the, the girl didn't do right either. The, 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 the widow of the oldest son played the harlot. She she dressed up like a uh, a common streetwalker, and she and she enticed, and she disguised herself, and, and Judah went in unto her, and she got uh, with child uh, by Judah, and uh, and she kept his uh, some of his uh, his his clothing. kept some of Judah's clothing. And, uh, and she did it for a reason and ultimately when Judah was going to have her executed for being unfaithful she said well I just want to show you this stuff that I've got the man whose these are is the one who got me with child and it turns out it was Judah and, and he was again the truth hurts right and you know what he said to her he said you know young lady you've been more righteous than I have you've been more righteous than I have. This this woman who acted like a a common adulteress has been more righteous than I have. I think you see a change in Judah already there. You're seeing a change. But let me tell you, there's no greater change than, than, than one that tells you, hey, I'm willing to be a slave forever if my brother will go free. Oh, that's a hard admission, isn't it? This truth has been festering through years of guilt and shame. No doubt at different moments it would come back to them. But, but the truth that hurts will also set you free. Now, I cannot help but mention to you here, I told you when we started, I'm not talking about Joseph as a type of Christ or a type of God or anything like that. But I can't help but make the, the correlation here for just a brief moment, okay? Uh, in this case, Joseph is, is as it were, Christ, okay and 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 this is not a, a story about uh these brothers becoming his, his his brothers or becoming his you know children of god they already were but we're, this is a this is a story about reconciliation between children of god or if you want to take joseph out as the type of christ reconciliation between the children of god and god himself okay And I say to you this morning, you cannot have reconciliation with Christ without an acknowledgement of the truth that may be the deepest, darkest, hurtful truth in your hearts. Now I'm not talking about coming down in front of the church and confessing your sins, but I am talking about going into your closet and not deceiving yourself into thinking you're all that, (laughs) that you're something you're not, but acknowledging to God how sin-cursed you are and how much you need Him. Oh, there'll never be greater reconciliation than when you do that, because the truth will set you free. Notice Joseph's response as we try to wrap this up. He could have rejected them, okay, but in chapter forty-five, uh, he he could have he could have said, "I'm going to show them who's boss." You know, I, I I could I have every right to run them out of town on a rail to do whatever I want to. But remember, Joseph is confident in the greatness of his God, that he can leave that to him and let God lead him in this matter. So instead, what did he do? He reconciled with them. Look at verse one of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And notice what happened. He wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. That word troubled carries the signification of being terrified. Can you imagine? Not only have they confessed one of the most uh, deep and dark secrets of their hearts, now they realize they've confessed it in front of the very one that they wronged. (laughs) And, and, and he, he put everybody else out. He said, I don't want anybody else to hear this while I talk to my brethren. And they, they, they couldn't respond to him at this point. But I want you to notice. I mean, what could they say, by the way? What could they say? Hey, bro, I'm sorry. You know, hey, we left you in that pit, man. You know? You got out. Hey, you're doing good, buddy you know what I'm saying? I mean what what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to say at that point? <laughs> Notice what Joseph did. There weren't any threats implied or otherwise. He didn't, you know, he put everybody out. I confess to you, I would have been tempted if I'd have been Joseph to prepare the meanest looking set of guards of Pharaoh's army that I could think of and have them stand there with their spears or scimitars or whatever they had back then and just stand there and tell them, don't you bat an eye. I want you to, I'd probably got 11 of them or 10 of them because I'd let Benjamin off the hook, of course. And I'd had 10 of them standing up there and and I'd had them, I said, you look at that one and you look at that one and you don't blink an eye. You just stare them down this whole time. Man, I'd have been, I'm going to be magnanimous, but I want you to scare them to death. You know, that would have been me. I mean, that's in my heart, at least to do that. It may have, may have occurred to Joseph, but he, but there weren't any threats. There wasn't even an implied threat. No hard feelings. And, 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 and he said, I am Joseph. He revealed himself to them. And then he said to them, beginning in verse four, he says, come near to me. He He tells them five things. He says, Come near to me, I pray you. He says, you come gather around me. And I'm sure it says they came near. They, they probably were scared, but they came near. He said, I want to put you at ease. Come near to me. Don't. I'm not going to sit up here on my throne and you down there. I want you to come near unto me. And then he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now now, notice here, he says, uh, the truth is still the truth. You did sell me into Egypt. You did do this to me. But he's not saying this. He's already revealed himself, and he's not he's not saying this to, to beat them down, because in verse 5 he says, Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. I'm sure they went, Whew. <laughs> he's saying, Don't don't be upset here, okay? Verse verse five at the end of the verse, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying the providential hand of God was upon this very situation. And I want to say to you that remember, we're not talking about God prompting them to do what they did in a wicked way or God taking all their sin and working it together. Just notice here that God in a providential way is getting between Joseph and the bad consequences of that situation and really getting between the brothers and the bad consequences of their decisions. And he is, he is working for them in a good way. He's not working it out for their good, working together for their good, because he's not working together with anything. But when God works providentially, there is always a better end in mind. Even when he's chasing us, it's for a better purpose. It's not just so he can get his vengeance on us. It's so you and I can be corrected and become closer in fellowship with him. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. He says, Behold, I know the thoughts I think toward you thoughts of peace and thoughts of an expected end or a hopeful end. He has in mind for us, in a providential way, He's going to take care of us, is what He's saying. He's going to intervene in our lives. He's not just a God that wound up the clock and set it to, set, wound up this world like a clock and set it into motion and then says, I don't have anything to do with it. He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years have the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earring or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. In other words, God's been with me all this time. Y'all did this wicked, evil thing, and and, and lo and behold, God, through his providence, had a vehicle by which I could get to Egypt. This Potiphar's wife had 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 a terrible trap set for me, and lo and behold, God was able to overrule her wickedness, even while I was in prison. And he sent me a dream, or sent Pharaoh a dream that I was able to interpret. You see God has been with him. He instructed them on these things and then he said in verse 9, "Haste ye and go up to my father." You run, okay? <laughs> you go to my daddy. He he wanted he wanted to he wanted him to know as soon as possible that everything is going to be fine and that he was going to bring him down to this land and take care of him. And then perhaps most important of all, in verses 14 and 15, we see where Not only did he instruct them and reconcile with them, he did it in love. Look at verse 14. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren... Talked with him. Notice he first went to Benjamin. And he wept upon his neck. But not only Benjamin. Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Dan and Naphtali and Gad. And Asher and Issachar and Zebulun. Everyone that participated in throwing him into the pit. He kissed them all. And he wept over them. I want to say to you beloved. After their confession and their repentance. There was reconciliation. But reconciliation must involve love. That's the only way reconciliation can occur. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, how fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know how you can forgive your brother, how you can forbear with your brother? It's by loving your brother. That's the only way. The only way you can forgive me when I say something or do something that offends you is if you have the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. And believe me, that's a fight daily because the love of God is in your heart, but you also have the old love of man, the old self-love that wants your way. But beloved, if we love one another as Christ loved us, even when someone has done the unforgivable, you can forgive them anyway. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What can your brother do to you that you cannot forgive, seeing that you have caused the very Son of God to die a miserable death for your miserable life? Think about that. We sang a song this morning that had the word wretch in it. We sang two songs, actually, that had the word wretch in it. Don't ever change those words. Because you and I are wretches. But yet Jesus died for us. And notice after he forgave them, I know our time's gone, but let me finish this up. After he forgave them, after that, his brethren talked with him. And then, verses... 25 through 28 says he went home to tell, tell their father. Now you reckon what that was like. You know, Daddy, I, you know, twenty-two, three years ago we told you that Joseph died. Well, he didn't really die. We kidnapped him and sold him into slavery, and now he's prime minister of Egypt. And if you read there, you'll see in verse 26, Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. He 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 passed out nearly. He, he nearly had a heart attack. He's like Fred Sanford, it's the big one. You know, I can just see him staggering around there. Oh no, it's the big one. And here he is finally coming to see that all that he had worried about through all those years uh, was for naught, because his son was alive in Egypt. Now let me, let me, let me say one, one other thing. I believe the most important part of this whole story is verse Verse 16. You remember how many times I've said, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. Well, it wasn't about Joseph. And it wasn't about his brothers. Notice verse 16. And the fame thereof, after all this reconciliation, after all this this time of repentance and confession and ultimately reconciliation had occurred, the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well in his service. In other words, Pharaoh heard about this. Pharaoh was amazed. Pharaoh was pleased. And according to what the Lord Jesus Christ said about his disciples in John chapter 13 to verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. You see, it's great to have peace. I like being peaceful. But the reason we should have peace and love one another is not just so we can have peace and get along, but it's so we can glorify God. That's why we reconcile. That's why we forbear one another and forgive one another, so we can glorify God. The most important part of this is the evangelization that occurred through their actions there. They didn't preach a word to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh was impressed with how they lived. The truth will set you free. Can you handle the truth? Can I handle the truth? The truth hurts, but none of this could have happened if the brothers had not first acknowledged this hard truth about themselves. Is your God big enough that you can acknowledge the truth of where you messed up, where I've messed up, and trust it to Him? Even... Even on those situations where you try to reconcile and it doesn't work. I've had that very thing happen to me recently. Made an effort to reconcile. Completely rejected. Felt like a fool. Okay? But wouldn't change a thing. Because I did what I was supposed to do. And who knows what fruit it may bear. If nothing else, as I've said before, one day we're going to be resurrected. And all those kinds of problems are going to be over with. Because... If the person you're crossed up with is not in the resurrection, you're never going to have to see them again anyway, right? (laughs) But if they are, you're going to be in perfect harmony, perfect peace. Can you reconcile like Joseph? Can Can we forgive as he forgave? Can we forgive as Christ forgave? Lord, help us. Help us to love as you loved. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.